I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers from KLCC Studios. My guest today is Representative John Lively of Springfield and District 7 in the state legislature. Lively, the former mayor of Springfield, talks about politics and public service at both the city and state level. Representative John Lively from District 7 in Springfield, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have a very interesting background, but I want to start at the very beginning. Talk about growing up in LaGrande in a very rural area and kind of, you know, what was that like and, and what brought you to this side of the mountains and, and Springfield? Sure. So I was born in LaGrande, but I actually lived in a little town called Wallawa, which okay. is 48 miles east, uh, further east of uh, LaGrande. Uh, and frankly, you know, my kids uh, who grew up here would often ask me early on, well, so why would anybody live up there, Dad? <laughs> but after visiting a while in that, I w- they would appreciate the mountains and that. And so while it was a small town, everybody knew everybody. Uh, there was a lot of opportunities uh, to hike, to fish, do all of those things. And not that you can't do them down here, but they were much easier in a small town. Sure. Uh, our whole family was there. Uh, you know, my class in, high- in school was 19 students, <laughs> all very different. Yeah. Uh, then moving. Uh, and, it, you know, from my standpoint, uh, it was a great life. I really enjoyed growing up there. One of the things that kind of set the pattern for what I've done later, my dad was mayor. He was a fire chief. He was all of those things. <laughs> chief bottle washer, all That's, that. <laughs> and so I just learned early on, you know, giving back to the community in some way was important because I watched my dad. Unfortunately, things changed. Uh, while we didn't weren't directly involved with the mill, the mill closed, and mm. that was the primary source of jobs in Wallowa impacted my dad's job and so he <clears throat> decided to move down this way some direction uh, his brother uncle jack was in springfield encouraging him to stay sit here so he got a job at alexander's department store and we moved down hmm. i was a junior in high school i can assure you none of that was of interest to me i didn't want to come this is too late in life i don't like springfield you can go through the period of things uh that that so uh, but obviously we moved my dad says we're moving so we move uh spent then my last two years at Thurston High School and graduated from Thurston. Uh, and so it was quite a change, even though Springfield's not big in relationship to cities across there, even Portland and that, it was gigantic I in relationship imagine. to Wallowa. There was more kids uh, in my high school uh, than there were in my town, the whole citizens in that. And certainly from a standpoint, you know, Wallowa County only had 7,000 citizens in the whole county. So wow. that was all something getting used to. Uh, and frankly, I didn't like it very much when I first came down. Hmm. Very hard as a high school student, uh, and especially one that grew up with the same kids uh, in a small community. Uh, so I wasn't too convinced I was going to stay here. Hmm. I thought, well, I'll graduate from high school, then I'm going back to Wallow and work on a farm. I don't know what I was going to do because we weren't farmers. Uh, but along came a chance to go to college. So I went to Lane Community College. That got me kind of that I could go on to college and I needed to be down here to do that uh, and then decided to transfer at the University of Oregon. Uh, that was interrupted with four years in the military during the Vietnam era. I didn't serve in Vietnam, but that's partly why I went in. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, the intentions was I was going to move back to Allow. That still hadn't got that out of my mind. Um, but uh, after I came back out of the military and went back to school, so when I met what's my wife mm-hmm. of 49 years, uh, she was in school and there we were. She was in school. We decided to stay. We started raising our family. Springfield certainly was our home and became our home, and we've not left since. You know, I'm, I'm going to talk about your, your time in the legislature in a, in a minute, but I, as you were talking, I'm thinking, you know, obviously a lot of 
talk about America and Oregon is is the divide and polarization. And I'm wondering, you know, some, sometimes that divide is characterized between uh, urban and rural. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, coming from such a small town, but now as as a legislature, do you do you find that that has sort of perhaps helped you see that perspective? No question about that. So uh, when I grew up in Olawa, there were conversations with Olawa County about joining Idaho. Mm. They thought that Willamette Valley, Salem didn't know who Oregon, mm-hmm. Eastern Oregon was. So those conversations have existed since I've been alive. Uh, and obviously I just listened. I was a kid and didn't pay a lot of attention to them. But I can tell you from a standpoint of serving in the legislature, it's been critical uh, for a couple reasons. One, uh, what it really shows me is how often what happens at the state level is one model and we apply it every place. And I can tell you growing up in northeastern Oregon, going back there every year to see families and friends, that's just not true. And mm. it's not true in a lot of parts of the state. So from a, a state government standpoint, we just have to recognize that how you do things in different parts of states can be different, uh, still achieve the uh, same goals. And my colleagues in the legislature say they, they hear me say a lot of it. That doesn't work in Ulao, Oregon, because it doesn't work in Ulao, Oregon. So what would work there to try to, uh, to address those things? And certainly, when I grew up, it was a very different political climate than it is today, and it's become much more polarized, even though there was those in eastern Oregon thought they ought to be part of Idaho. The polarization over political ideology is just much different today. Uh, I still have friends that, go up, that live up there, and sometimes when we're visiting, they always say, so what happened to you, John? When you lived <laughs> up here, <laughs> you moved to the valley and look at that. But I try, uh, serving the legislature, I try to be sensitive to those issues because uh, we're all part of the same state. Sure. And uh, we have to have rules and regulations. We have to make investments, but just try to push for the fact that it can be done a lot of different ways. Uh, to help the people and and still serve the same purpose. Okay. After you graduated from the University of Oregon, talk about what you did next. Mm -hmm. And and even that early on, and you talked about your dad being mayor, did you know pretty much right away that you wanted to get into public service? Uh, I I did. So it was something I'd always thought about it. I actually considered uh, when I went to the University of Oregon and going into public policy and management and become a city manager. That was kind of what I wanted to do, so it was around cities and that, but, uh, so I don't necessarily learn like everybody else learns, so a couple of my first classes, it was made pretty clear to me, if you're gonna be successful, you gotta do it this way. Well, I don't do anything just this way. I listen to what all the options are and do it. So I was thinking, well, maybe city management's too structured uh, for the type of work that I wanna do, so I got out of that decided to get my degree in political science, and it was during that time I thought that I at some point would like to serve in elective office. Not sure what. Uh, a good friend of mine from Wallow would tell you that when I was in the eighth grade, we stood on the corner talking about politics, and I said, someday I'm going to be in state government. <laughs> this was in the eighth grade. So I always had kind of that <laughs> thought that I kind of wanted to do it. Wasn't sure how that would ever uh, work out. Uh, so after I graduated from college, and even when I was in college, so when I was in, co- in college, I worked with Cynthia Wooten on, at that point, Governor-to-be Straub's campaign on the campus and that. And so I worked in campaigns, did that when I was at community college. So I was around people in politics and things and always uh, thought that was something I wanted to do. Uh, so when I got, got out of college uh, and got married, um, we were talking about raising a family. didn't seem like the timing might be very good for that. But a, a group of people I knew in Springfield approached me and said, John, it's time for a change in Springfield. It's been run by the good old boys way too long. And remember, I'm just out of college and starting a family. 
uh, wasn't on my agenda to do at that particular point. Talked to my wife, and they all thought, well, sure, why don't you run for the city council? Uh, didn't anticipate we would win because I was running against an incumbent. But I can tell you, oh, my family and friends, we just walked door to door. We minugraphed off pieces of paper, had no <laughs> money, walked door to door and met citizens, and I won. Hmm. So that's how I got started in local elected politics. And after serving on the city council, I didn't like the way the mayor was influencing the city from a standpoint, the image. I was dissatisfied with that and said, well, it's one of those cases, if you don't like what's happening, go to change it. So <laughs> ran for mayor and was fortunate enough to get elected. So. Were there some lessons you learned from your dad being mayor of a small town that you were able to bring to a larger town like Springfield? Uh, yeah, a couple, three things. One, just the whole thing, the access, even in a small town, uh, you know, whether it's the fire, well, they had very few of those things, but the importance of those things, and especially in those times when the citizens are most stressed and how you respond in that. Up there, it was a volunteer fire department. So just understanding whether, in this case, water was even important up there, it's important here, but they had a very unusual system. They took it out of the creek, they put it in a pipe and brought it downtown. <laughs> but so the things I saw from a standpoint of what the city should provide, and especially from the standpoint of, of access to resources, because Wallow had very few. So in a community of Springfield had more, still not as many, but when I first joined the city council, one of my frustrations was, Springfield had access to more. There was what was called federal revenue sharing at the time, but the majority council didn't want those monies. They didn't want to do what other states and communities were doing because they thought somehow the federal government would control what we did, and maybe to some extent they would. Hmm. Uh, so understanding uh, that there's a lot of different ways to get there, but understanding the struggles overall as a working class people in Wallowa or Springfield was really what local governments is about to help. Sure. When you were mayor and on the council, you know, and certainly... Uh, People sometimes don't necessarily understand the, the concept of a weak mayor system and the strength. But, but talk a little bit about both the, the kind of the benefits of that system and maybe some of your frustrations. Certainly, sometimes in a weak mayor system, a mayor might be considered a, a figurehead or somebody who just goes and opens build, you know, when, when there's a grand opening. But, but talk about that, because sometimes I think it's, it's kind of fascinating. Well, and it is. So first, I, I really became a strong believer that having a city manager former government was very important. It's just the, the professional running and in, most, in a lot of cases, ensuring that you separated politics out of the management of the city itself. And the way to do that is to have a manager that works for the elected officials, and the elected officials work on policy. Now, it's not always easy to keep those things separated depending on the elected official. Uh, but the other thing I would just say about mayor's position, it really goes back to the personality of the person, how much they want to put into it. So I felt strongly, not so much that I needed to vote, but indeed I was going to be the spokesperson for the city and to set the image and the tenure of what was going on, and that's what part of the problem was before. And so I worked very hard at that, worked with the city staff, with my council members in that, uh, to try to make sure that we started changing how people viewed Springfield, both from how they viewed it and how cooperative Springfield was with its neighbor Eugene and others to try to help the citizens of Springfield regardless of where it came from. So from my standpoint, it brought a lot to it because it opened doors and things, and a lot of people respected my style and what I was doing, would let me would start having the conversations that they wouldn't before with Springfield. So part of it went back to your style, what your goal was. My goal wasn't so much I needed the attention, but I wanted to see things change in Springfield, and so I became a strong spokesperson for that. All right, great. Well, we're going to take our first break. We're talking with Representative John Lively from District 7 Springfield. We'll be right back. 
I'm Barbara Dellenbach, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. The High Desert Museum south of Bend brings visitors directly into the experience of the natural world. What this museum has done from the beginning with incredible skill is to put our visitors into a time and a place and a space to connect to the human story and the natural landscape in an emotional way. Dana Whitelaw talks about the fun and impact of the museum on KLCC's Oregon Grapevine, klcc.org. And we're back talking with Representative John Lively from District 7 in Springfield. So um, you were on the council, you were on the mayor. There, there, there had to be a time when you thought, okay, I want to do something, I don't want to say larger, but, but certainly having, having perhaps, uh, you know, obviously a, a, a larger impact on people. So what was the calculus around running for the state legislature? Uh, so... Uh First, so remember uh, when I started as city council member, I was young and had a young family. Hmm. And so this, that was all volunteer work. And so it took time and it took, I worked hourly and it took money out of our pocket to do that. So um, we went through, at the last part when I was mayor, went through a recall election. This, those were very tough times in Springfield. Hmm. And it put pressure on my wife and my family. Things were said and that. And so we made a collective decision at that point to get out of elected politics. Hmm because it, it just didn't fit uh, with that point. Didn't mean I didn't have interest, but that just wasn't the point. So found other volunteer things and that to stay involved in my community. Uh, had never got rid of this idea that someday I might do at the state level. But at that wasn't the time that that was going to happen. Okay. People had asked me. So along the way, uh, as I worked at a lot of different jobs in the private sector, several times uh, the Democrats approached me about running for either the the House of Representatives or Senate when those positions become available. Uh, and twice in particular when they approached me about it, I was interested. Still at that point, part of it was my kids were in college, so mm. that may not be such a good time to run, but I considered it. Uh, but here's, here's what happened. So, and this is just the way in many cases politics is. So they approached me, I said, I'm interested, and then they said, here's how we're gonna run your campaign. <laughs> I said, no, that's not who I am. You're not going to run my campaign. So if you want somebody that you can run their campaign and they say, which, then go find that person. But if you want me to run for office, it's, I'm going to have to be genuine in who I am in my community, and I'm going to have direct impact on my campaign. So both of those times, that just didn't work. I, we couldn't reach agreement, and I said, fine, I'll get on with my life. Mm. So it wasn't until, uh, and Terry and Lee Byer have been my friends forever mm. in Springfield. So it wasn't until... Uh, much later that Terry Byer decided to retire, that her and Lee approached me about running for the position. So this is my kids are grown, they're through college, all of those things, very different time. Uh, and something I wanted to do, but I initially said, no, I'm not, this is the wrong time in my life. I should have done it, you know, all of those things <laughs> you say. So after a week or so, they came back and approached me again. And I said, no. And at that point, I said, no, because I don't think at this point my wife would really like me to get back into elected politics, the exposure, what happens. Uh, so the third time. <laughs> third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. Because uh, they could tell I was interested. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you have to talk to my wife. So we need to talk to Teresa and see if she would be comfortable with this. And if she's not, it's not going to happen. So we talked to Teresa, and part of it was she was 30 years as an educator and getting ready to retire, so things were changing for her. She wasn't necessarily in a position that I might directly have an impact on in what we did in Salem. Uh, again, our kids were grown starting to have uh, grandkids. And so she said, you know, probably especially since it's not taking place right here in the community where people have such direct access to you, 
and to us that it might be so bad. So she was uh, willing to say, why don't we give it a try? But we had to have the conversation with the Democrats again over <laughs> the campaign. Because uh, obviously I hadn't run for elected office in a long time, and the Republicans were about to choose some, a, a local elected official that was still an elected official, and it was going to be a very tough race. And so I met at that point, she became speaker, but uh, Tina Kotek was majority leader, and a couple other members of the Democrats, and we talked about it. And I told them just what I told the people before. If the only way this is going to work is you're going to run my campaign, and not them personally, mm -hmm. but the the consultants and things and try to tell me who I am and what I have to say, then this just isn't going to work. That's just not who I am. And Tina and the other said, no, John, we want you to be who you are. And that's why we want you to run. So I agreed. Didn't mean that during the campaign, we didn't have some strong discussions about how the campaign, because it was a very tough campaign, about maybe I had to be turned negative in my campaign or something. I just never said I'm going to do those things. And I don't mind those discussions. We have differences mm -hmm. of opinion. Uh, but so fortunately, it was it was a very tough campaign, but I prevailed. Yeah, a couple questions from that. The first is, um, you have to develop a, th a thick skin, I imagine, yes. in any kind of elected office. Take us through. You know, you had you had challenges. You know, talk talk a little bit about that, but also realizing, okay, I'm in some ways I'm I'm going away from one fishbowl into yeah. another. What was that like? Yeah. So the. And it's e so it depends on the person. So I know elected colleagues in that that don't have a thick skin, and it's emotionally it's, it's a up and down, and it's very hard. So even when I was mayor, uh, and citizens could at me, I never first I never took it personal. Secondly, I believe strongly whether they like the answer or not. You got to be truthful so you don't get caught up and people come back later. But you said, mm -hmm. and so I always worked very hard at that. But I can tell you when we went through the recall, that was very hard to my family and friends. Uh, while the things that were said about me weren't true, while they tried to do all these things, it's much harder on those that aren't in the position. Because what I got from the position was a lot of satisfaction and support from the staff, from other community members. Many people came up to the community and thanked me for service and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would get that. But my wife and kids and family wouldn't get that. Yeah. And so that's partly what reinforced it to me that it's worth doing. It, the important thing is not about me, but it's about do people feel that I'm helping and doing something. Uh, and so... You know, that's how, when we went through the recall of mayor, at the legislative side, uh, one of the interesting things, in many cases, it's harder on my staff because they're the front line that gets it first. Uh, my wife, Teresa, is more insulated. She's down here in Springfield, and mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff happens in Salem, though people approach us in the community. Uh, but the issues are different. I'm insulated more because I'm only one of 60 members in yeah. the House, so it's not like I'm the mayor, the, you know, the yeah. focal point. Uh, and so from that standpoint, it still is. I, my frustration just gets at times how uh, people abuse the staff. Uh, I don't tolerate that. So if I know somebody's doing it, I tell them they're done. That's just not the way we do business. You've got to have respect. And my staff is very good. He's been with me since I first elected. Mm. Uh, so he's good about telling people, Representative Lively isn't going to talk to you or deal with that. So you've got to decide what you want to do. Uh, but so it's a little different in Salem, but you get it. The interesting thing, so rather than getting it directly from my citizens, in many cases, I get it from lobbyists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hear quite a bit from citizens, but most of the ones we hear from citizens are people asking for us their help and things, and, and sure. we're glad to do that. Versus if every once in a while, there's an issue that they get pretty angst about. Uh, but mostly now, since they're in Salem, they either text or email me, mm -hmm. uh, even versus calling on the phone. So. Yeah. 
I want to go back to something you said about you were you were adamant that you were going to run your campaign your way. But obviously, and, and you've been in the legislature long enough to know that there are a lot of candidates who are fine with consultants and image makers to create their campaign. In fact, maybe that's even a growing trend, would you say? Mm -hmm. I'd say it is. So that kind of, you know, it kind of goes back to, from my standpoint, style and how comfortable you are in your own skin. Mm. Uh, Whether people like everything I believe in, I'm comfortable. I'm just who I am, and I don't want to try to pretend to be something else. And especially when I ran for legislature, since I'd been mayor and so actively involved in my community, I was convinced if I didn't continue to be who I was and somebody tried to create an image that that was going to be problematic for me, even if I got elected later trying to live up to that image. Don't get me wrong, the consultants are important, and there were consultants, and we'd have these debates about how best to express what I was trying to express, so I appreciate that support. Uh, But at the end of the day, the citizens were electing me, not an image, Mm. uh, not a soundbite, because in many cases, the soundbites I didn't totally agree with. I'm a Democrat. I'm proud to be a Democrat, but I don't necessarily agree with everything that we, the Democrats, do, and I just need to be able to express that, and you don't get that if somebody's running your campaign. Sure, sure. What was the first, your first term in the legislature like? How much, mm. how much of it was just even learning where the restrooms are, just the, the, the basics, and, and then learning how the game is played, if you will? It was all of that to begin with. So I had, uh, as mayor, and, and when I worked in economic development, had testified before the legislature, had advocated for bills. So I thought I knew a lot. Turned out I didn't know anything when I got up through how the system works. Uh, and like or dislike the system, the system is the system. We set the rules. You got to follow the rules. So uh, first, it was just overwhelming from the amount of bills and information coming at you and trying to, you know, originally you think you got to know about everything. Well, you can't know about everything. So that's when you got to go back and appreciate the committee system and the committee chairs and the people that serve in that. You got to rely on those people doing those things that you may have a keen interest in. So it took quite a while to get used to that. It took uh, took a while to get used to the fact that the you have these hearings and then you're expected to vote. And I'm a type like to process things, have more custom. Well, that doesn't always work in the legislature. You don't get that time. Uh, so you better take the bits and the pieces you can. But you're absolutely right. I I didn't even know how properly to go on the floor and sit down <laughs> and to vote. Uh, <laughs> And I was lost multiple times in the Capitol to begin with because you get the old Capitol, the new wings and stuff, and the stairs didn't go places. So I'd, ha- I'd say our first session, and Andrew was my staff then, was mostly overwhelming. We learned the systems. We got formed relationships that were important. Uh, enjoyed being on, on committees and starting to learn. But it, that whole first two years, uh, what I would say, was not as productive <laughs> as it could have been because we had no true idea of what work it took to get a— you might have the best legislative concept in the world— doesn't mean it's going to pass unless you don't work at it very hard and build coalitions. So so the first session, I, I enjoyed it, but was exhausted when we get through the first long session, especially. I bet. I've had the opportunity to talk to legislators in different le- legislators in different states, and I'm always amazed at how much you have to work. And I've talked to a few who've, who've said, sometimes there are, I don't know if you want to say tricks or hacks to be able to do the job. Was there, was there a, a, a secret to, to being able to handle the volume of legislation and, and to be able to parse your, t- your attention accordingly? Yeah, first, I would say it's, it's enormously important who your staff is because the staff can do, so we, we would agree ahead of the session what the real priority areas that I was interested in, not that I was necessarily going to be directly involved, and I'll pick on K through 12. I'm a strong interest in K through 12. I didn't serve on those committees. So we initially would 
list all the bills that had to do with that. And then the, track, the staff would help track those so I would know when there was hearings and things. But one of the things I learned, read the relating clauses anyway. So read the relating clause so you have some concept. You don't have to Explain read the what the relating clause is. So the way the bill is written, you have, quote, a relating clause, which then the text or the law part of it gets developed on that. So whatever that, if it says relating to K through 12 education, early learning, then the bill has to somehow relate to that, do things around it. And so the relating clauses became very important. So at least, even though I wasn't on those committees in that, the bills I was interested in, read the relating clause and just get a gist of what it is. So then if you were having a conversation with a colleague, you kind of know what they were talking about. One of the hard lessons I learned in the first session, though, that people hijack those relating clauses. And so one of the things I was told uh, early on by one of my colleagues is don't sign on to bills too early because they may change. Hmm. Well, I thought, well, they don't know what they're talking about. I'll sign on to bills. And there were several bills in the first session I had to go take my name off of because they got what they called hijacked because the relating clause was something you could use to do it to spin a different way. So when it moved out of one chamber and the other, they rewrote the bill and they did what they call a gut and stuff. And if you don't keep up with that, mm. you may be on a bill that ultimately that you don't support so I learned that early on to really read it and watch when they're in the committees. Uh, and if something, if in a committee they make big changes, you better read that and decide, regardless of the relating clause at that time, uh, regardless of what it is. Got it. Well, we're going to take our second break. We're talking to Representative John Lively, Democrat from District 7 in Springfield. We'll be right back. If you're thinking of donating your car, I cannot encourage you more to go ahead and do it. The dividends are great. You'll feel good about yourself that what you did was so easy. It'll help your community by supporting these wonderful stations. How can you beat that? Get all the details at our website, klcc.org. And we're back talking to Representative John Lively from District 7 in Springfield. Um... You've been there now, I think. You've been eight sessions now, I think? So, I, uh, yeah, I've been there 10 years, starting my 11th year in the legislature. From today, looking, lo looking backward, what were some of, the, what were some of your, the achievements you're most proud of? Uh, so, you know, I, what I'm proud of is the range of committees I've served on. So some people, and I do have certain key areas of interest, uh, but the speaker makes the appointments to committees. So part of it goes back to how willing are the members to go to different committees and do things. And Speaker Kotek and I had a pretty interesting relationship. And every session that she made new appointments, I changed committees. Hmm. Now, I would have liked to have stayed on health care. I would have liked a lot. Of, but the point was she trusted me enough to be able to go and understand the issues and ask the questions and do things. And so first, just the fact of the range of committees that I've been able to serve on, both serve on as a vice chair or chair, uh, but also contribute to has really helped me understand a lot of the other issues out there that impact our citizens. And in some cases, how little the state can do about some of those, mm. but it's still important uh, to learn. So that was good. I w was able to serve on several joint committees, and I like the joint committees because they send it in the House together because it takes a different path of how to do it. Uh, so one of those was the Joint Committee on Transportation that ultimately led to the 2017 transportation package. We toured the state. I got to meet my colleagues, listen to a lot of local officials, citizens and that about transportation, and came back and put together a package that we ultimately raised the gas tax, which nobody thought we'd ever be able to do, mm. uh, and, and created more money in which to invest in infrastructure, primarily rebuilding the infrastructure we have rather than new infrastructure. 
so that was a great experience. I served on the Joint Task Force on Student Success, which came up with a recommendation for the business activity tax to put $2 billion more billion every biennium to K through 12. Great again to standpoint to listen to people. Uh, so one of the roles that I played there, so I tend to be a moderate, and early on there was problem, the business community was having some concerns about this bill as they should have. And so Brian Clem and I, several other moderates, negotiated with the business community and with the rest of the team that was putting this together about that rate and how we could reach a point that at least we could keep people neutral in that. But that's a role we could play because we were more in cases trusted by the business community. But again, we passed it, it's out there. Now there's some disagreements today about whether it's as good as it should be and I think things could be changed. So that was good. I also served on the Joint Task Force on Carbon Reduction, which was a very interesting ta uh, joint committee. I uh, got to look at you know, all the things that are going on in the climate and what we might or might not be able to do. And at the end, voted to move out a bill that had to do with cap and trade. I don't, even, I don't believe that's the best answer, but here's what I thought. It, this is a crisis, and we gotta start doing something. And it appeared to me this was a vehicle that if we put it in place would give us time to start other things to start addressing it. And as you know, uh, got to the Senate and it died because they walked out and that was the <laughs> end of it. But I enjoyed, that was another area that I enjoyed uh, working on. Yeah. Um, you, 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 you've, uh, you've raised the, uh, one of the most interesting words in politics today, moderate. And, mm -hmm. I, and I, I'd love to get your opinion on this. It, simply stated, it seems like, I guess there, there could be two points of view about that, 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 category moderate you could be very lonely <laughs> because of the fact that extremes tend to suck all the oxygen from the room or you could be a linchpin on which things move what's your take on that so uh when i first got elected the majority was smaller than it is today so the two or three of us moderates had a lot of influence because if it was a strictly democrat vote they needed our vote to get to 31 and i i don't hold things hostage but I just want to make sure we have the conversations in that. And I think most people may not know this, but many of those conversations don't go on in public. They go in the caucus rooms. They go in a lot of other places. Uh, but so the point that the modern day could bring was just try to get things to a, a point while I agreed with where we're trying to get, but how we would get there uh, to negotiate what that path might be. But as things changed uh, and the majority grew, then the role of a moderate became a little less, but it still was important. So. I would, I would say probably if you talk to people in the legislature, I'm the most non-political. I don't play sides from the politics sides, uh, but I'm respected on both sides of the aisle. And the role I can play is bringing people together. Uh, and the real role I play is this urban-rural divide is the fact that I've just, I just keep speaking long and hard about there's more ways than one to do things. And we just need to figure those things out. And in many cases, that applies to my community in Springfield. Springfield isn't Portland. Springfield isn't Eugene. And so what might work in those doesn't necessarily. So, so being a moderate, I'm not so far one way or the other. Now, I can tell you at times some of my friends don't think I'm moderate when it comes to, let's say, the environment. I'm pretty out there on what we got to do about climate change and that. So it kind of goes back to that term, that definition again. There's areas that people would say he's not very moderate, and mm. that's probably true, but an overall approach I am. Take us into that a little bit further in terms of how you bring, say, two legislators who are very, very opposite ends of the spectrum. How do you bring them together? Is it just the force of your relationship? Is it, is it your, your past successes? Take us through that. 
Now, so for some, it's their past successes. So for me, and not that the successes aren't important, what I voted for or didn't vote for then, but for me, it's more of the character and who I am. So I first operated from, from a basis of respect and truth. So people know that I'm very respectful. I don't disrespect people. I don't yell at them. I don't threaten them. That's just not my style of doing it. And secondly, I'll give you the answer whether you like the answer or not. <laughs> so I'm up front. So I've formed that relationship. So in many cases, people approach me when they don't have that relationship to try to help. How do we have this conversation? And it goes back to me first, respect. doesn't make any difference what your opinion is if you can't respect it is. So my office in many cases is, well, it's open to anybody. And there's people in my office that say things I would never agree with. Hmm. But we ha I have enough respect and they trust me that I'll listen to them and see what those issues are. So to me, it's more over the years of being there, I've formed this relationship and people know, I can tell you, uh, Governor Kotek, when she was speaker, understood that yelling at me or threatening <laughs> me wasn't gonna work. That's just not who I am. Or even offering to trade me something. I had to become convinced that the policy we were doing was the best policy, and I had to be respected in doing that. You've been in the legislature long enough to to sort of you know kind of see some historic moments. Mm -hmm. Some of them good, some of them bad. You know, a governor who was forced to resign or had to resign. Yeah. You've had you've had members who have been expelled or you know. Take us through again in the position of somebody who bridges the rural urban divide is a moderate. What's it like when the legislature itself is in crisis? Uh, first, it's very frustrating. Uh, and so it kind of goes back to my expectation is we should never get to that point, whether it's polarization or that we ought to be able to communicate and, and have a process and not do that. But just understand the process itself leads to that because we're restricted by Constitution how many days we can meet. You have all these bills. So the pressure and timeline is to unfortunately contribute some to this chaos that happens at times. And then secondly, since I've been in the legislature, we've not done a very good job of policing ourselves or holding people accountable. We're trying to mm. do better with conduct. And again, I'm going to go back to, <laughs> I was elected to represent the citizens of Springfield. That's what I should do. And I should do it respectfully and follow the rules. But not everybody agrees with that. But as a legislature, we've not done a very good job of having a path forward. I've served on the conduct committee and still serve as a member. But we've still not figured that out about holding each other accountable or even how we do that. Uh, so to me, those things are frustrating because uh, I don't come from a background that, that needs to be that way, but I appreciate why it is. So the role I can play is try whatever I can do to calm the sides or to hold people accountable ultimately. I've gone to colleagues at times and just tell them that's very inappropriate what you've said or done. I just don't agree with that. So I'm up front with them. Mm -hmm. They still can do what they do and fire the things up, but I let them know if I think from my perspective that's not appropriate. My last two questions for you. So this first question is, we've talked about polarization, but you know, you've lived through a lot of decades. <laughs> you lived through the, the Vietnam era, which was an incredibly polarized time in our nation, in the world. Give us some guidance. How do you think we can perhaps transcend this polarization? Well, I think first, so early on, I realized I'm only one person and I can only do so much. Mm -hmm. And I have to decide in that doing so much, what is that that I feel really strong about? And even if I do, how long is it gonna to take to impact? So everything happens in increments. So first of it's realizing my, pers my importance is very little in the big scheme of things because there's so many people and there's these uh, split, op split opinions and directions to go. So 
too many people get wrapped up in themselves and getting on the front page or their ego. That doesn't solve anything. That turns other people's off that might be your ally. So I worked very hard uh, to do that. But I learned, so after I came back out of the military and went back to the University of Oregon, I was involved in the protests against the Vietnam War. Uh, I felt strong. I felt strong before I went in, but ended up in a position. I got drafted. Didn't have a lot of choices. Uh, what I did, uh, but even doing that. So from my perspective, burning down buildings and things isn't the way. Have loud voices. Take your opinions. Go to the meetings. All of those things are appropriate. But it kind of goes back to that still respect. If we can't respect each other as human beings in that, then it's going to be very tough. Uh, so I learned a lot when I watched that. Uh, I learned a lot in participating in some, and I still go out at march and times and do those things because those are important expressions. But I just tend to want, I'm careful how I do it, and I respect that not everybody does it that way, but I'm careful how I do it so I'm consistent with who I am uh, in expressing those things. Yeah. You know, my last question is this. You, you talked about how amenable you were to serving on multiple committees, and, and, so, and I imagine part of that, both why someone like uh, uh, Tina Kotek would choose you and also your own your own choices is you could carry that institutional knowledge from committee to committee. Yeah. And, and that leads me to sort of this last question is, is you've been there a long time. I imagine mentoring is something you probably enjoy. Talk a little bit about how you're mentoring both your colleagues now, but then perhaps the next generation of political leaders. Yeah, thank you. And, and it is very important. So I've, I'm privileged this session to be chair of two committees, which is very unusual to get to be chair of two committees. But part of that is, again, how long I've been there, and we have a lot of new members, which I respect, very exciting, that somebody, but they have no experience in that. In it. So the role I can play as a chair first is to help them understand how meetings should be conducted, getting the business done, back to respect, both sides of the aisle. Uh, so first as a chair, being able to do this, but just secondly, again, as my style, I have many times people approach me, and here's especially the new members now, because they know I've been there a long time, they know people on both sides respect me, but the thing I always start with is, this is my style. Hmm. It may not be your style. Everybody does things in a different style. doesn't mean we can't end up in the same place. So I always first approach it if people are asking me about it and how I've been successful. So my style has been consistent. It goes back to respect, truth, and trust. Those are the important parts of this. And I tend to be kind of... Uh, I take things easier. I don't take things quite so. This is serious business. But if we get too serious about it, it turns just you're an adversary all the time. So people can tell you that serve on my committees, I'm pretty laid back. I allow people to have dialogue sometimes that people wish they didn't have, but they did. <laughs> They'll tell you that we have fun on my committees. At the end of the day, we get a lot of business done. We need to do that. Uh, but I, I really encourage people to think about style, because style, in many cases, gets in the way of all the other things. So we can have very different styles, but we might find common ground if we start from respect and truth. Got to be truthful with people. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Words to live by. Well, Representative John Lively from District 7 in Springfield, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. That was our conversation with Representative John Lively. An avowed consensus builder, Lively's stance as a moderate will be even more important in a polarized political environment. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening.